We want when people come here, this to be an overwhelming sense of home. Because biblical Christianity at its core is relational. If you are going to lead, you have to first be, you have to first be led. Hey, welcome to Lead Talks with the Craigs. I'm Pastor Craig Mosgrove. And I'm Pastor Chad Craig. Yeah, we're so excited to be with you for Episode 7 today, Lead Talks with the Craigs. And uh, we're in a, a series uh, right now, what we call Season Number 3, which is In Order to Lead, You Must First Be Led. And we're just talking yep. about the leadership of the Holy Spirit, Pastor Chad. And um, man, it's been a joy. It's been a lot of fun. Um, the Holy Spirit and His presence is oh so needed. And... Um, you know, I don't know about you, Pastor Chad, but when I first got born again, I used to hear kind of a recited the Apostles' Creed about the Holy Ghost. And I can just imagine in so many people that are probably listening, if they grew up in a church where they heard the Holy Ghost, they probably had a little bit of a mental disconnect thinking that the ghost, you know, of childhood mm-hmm. is actually <laughs> conflating that with the idea of God's Holy Spirit. But, you know, it got me thinking, Pastor Chad, the idea of the Holy Spirit himself is disconnecting to a lot of people, right? And we've been talking about that all, all uh, series long, meaning there are certain parts of God we understand. For instance, most of us get the Father part. We get the reality of relating to a Father. He's a provider. It makes sense to us. We get yeah. the Son part. Many yeah. of us that are listening are sons. You know, we try to please our dads, our fathers on earth. But then you get the Holy Spirit, and we don't know functionally how to relate yeah right so it's instantly like whoa that part of the trinity you know we don't really know how to relate to and what we've been doing the last few weeks of course i think two episodes ago we we really talked in depth about the trinity um and and in terms of the role and the the primary doctrines that each part of the godhead essentially directs or leads um but at the end of the day pastor chad we at least in american society culture in the church world we are much like the Acts 19, Paul taking the interior road to Ephesus saying, have you been baptized in the Spirit? And they just make that grand statement. We've not even heard there's a Holy Spirit. So there's this fuzziness about the person of the Holy Spirit. So, um, you know, he's elusive to a lot of people. What's your thoughts there? Well, it's interesting you brought up the Apostles' Creed. I I just, um, last week or the week before, was talking to Caleb about it, and I showed him that when you break down the Apostles' Creed, there's a, a large, just from a grammatic and just word count. So if you just look at mm-hmm. the Apostles' Creed, you have a large section for the Father, yeah. Son, you come to the Holy Spirit, it's one statement. Yeah. Yeah. One statement. Right. I think they, that's what we were saying last time at the beginning of the episode, yeah. One statement. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's interesting. Right. And yet, when the New Testament refers to the Holy Spirit, Pastor Chad, just the New Testament, I was looking up, it refers to the Holy Spirit 260 times. Hmm. So 260. And um, tons of different names, but the most common name that we know is the Holy Spirit, which is what we've been calling the Holy Spirit this series, this yep. season. Um, today, we just want to talk about the Holy Spirit in the world. So we've been we've been kind of you know, having discussion, lots of discussion, adequate discussion about the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. We've talked through the person of the Spirit, the Trinity. We talked through the gifts of the Spirit, the hunger for the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in prayer and boldness mm-hmm. and confidence and the fruit of the Spirit. But I don't know about you, but for me, at least the church that I was born again in and grew up, uh, we've, we very rarely connected the person of the Spirit to the unbelieving world. It was just very rarely communicated and mm-hmm. talked about. Um, and so if the Holy Spirit appears 260 times, he's certainly a, a person we can't neglect. 
right? We have to really engage and understand from Genesis to Revelation. And I know throughout this this season, Pastor Chad, you've been trying to consistently bring us back to the reality of, of the work of the Spirit in the Old Testament, which... For a lot of Christians historically, they just tend to gloss over the person right. of the Spirit and the role of the Spirit in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. But the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters in Genesis 1. Yeah. And then in Revelation twenty two seventeen, the Spirit and the bride say, come. So bookends of the Bible, right. we have clearly the work of the Holy Spirit. The problem is, where do you begin when you have 260 choices in the New Testament? Right. Right. So just talk to us, I guess, a little bit. What, what have been, through, throughout your Christian journey, some of your favorite New Testament passages about the Holy Spirit. If there's 260 of them, maybe just a few of them that you found to be very helpful or insightful for you or revelatory in your journey. Um, well, revelatory was when you look in Revelation and it talks about the seven spirits of God because mm-hmm. that was like, you know, in the mainline denominational church I grew up in, I don't ever remember. I'm sure they did. Right. But I have no memory you know, no conscious memory of hearing any message or any mention about the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Right. So then I go from sort of that upbringing to, okay, when I surrender to the Lordship of Jesus and getting around charismatic or spirit filled or people that talked and prioritized the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that was a whole newness. But then I never heard any of them until I was like reading scripture talking about the seven spirits of God. So that was like a, a major curveball, unexpected. Like right. what's going on there? Yep. So when when the Lord began showing me scripturally about, you know, the the fullness of the ministry of the Holy Spirit yep. and how it's highlighting that, and then the Ephesians one prayer that Paul prays, right, for all believers that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, and then he highlights two key New Testament aspects of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, spirit of wisdom and spirit of revelation. Yeah. That was pivotal for me. Um, it, it's really, when when that became alive to me, is really when understanding the new covenant mm-hmm. and the distinguishing factors of new covenant versus old covenant. Right. And also old covenant being everything outward and visual yeah. to now transition to this life in the spirit. Yeah. You know, internal life. A, yeah, a yeah. relational, internal, you know, dynamic with the Spirit of God versus just outward rules and regulations. So those are a couple things that, that stand out to me. I always, you know, I, I come from also a Calvinistic background. Yeah. And, uh, you know, not to offend anybody, but truth is truth. I one day was a Calvinist and, and then in one moment no longer was. Mm. And you say, how is that possible? What's called being delivered. Yeah. It really was. Yeah. God broke demonic wrong perception off me mm. and i remember going back and reading papers and stuff i had written about scripture and i remember saying well, you know who wrote this what idiot mm. and that idiot was me yeah and so we can have eyes and not see and ears not hear but right. growing up i say all that to say is one of the main verses growing up that was always highlighted is no one can come to the father except be by the spirit that draws unless him. the spirit draws him yeah which sort of is going to tie in today yeah we're going to sort of highlight That's john six yeah yeah but within calvinist Calvinistic lens, that scripture would be used, but there was never really an understanding, I felt, or thorough, uh, adequate uh, dealing with, well, then how does God actually want to save people? Yeah. Right? Right. And the Calvinistic lens really didn't answer that. Yeah, it's like, well, yeah. he must just be choosing because we don't know how the Spirit's working in the unbelieving world. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, today for our discussion, we're in John 16, and I just wanted to say for our readers, John 13. 14, 15, and 16, it's four chapters, but one event. It's the upper room discourse, right? It's Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Yeah. It's this whole discourse that he has. And 
uh, Gordon Fee, which many, many people may not know, but Gordon Fee, New Testament, leading New Testament scholar. Leading, yeah. One of the things that's so f- interesting, and I'll never forget this in my undergraduate, he said uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all passion narratives with long extended introductions. And what he's trying to say is that John covers over 30-something years in John 1 through 12, right. and then you slow down on the night of Jesus' betrayal. Right. You got four whole chapters dedicated. And, and thankfully we do because, you know, the others don't bring out this. That's death. right. That's right. So we're in John 16, which will be the fourth fourth chapter of those th- those four that are together. And Pastor Chad, I want to kind of just confine my thoughts, our thoughts today to John uh, chapter 16, verses 5 through 11. Okay. And we're going to just look at three aspects of the relationship the Holy Spirit has to the world. What, what does the Holy Spirit, how does the Holy Spirit relate to the world? So I'm going to start in verse 5. Jesus again speaking, but now I go away to him who sent me, but none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrows filled your heart. And that Greek word "feel" just means it's so filled to the brim, there's no room for anything else. I mean, it's truly feeling. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage or it's better that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you and he will come. Watch this. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment, of sin because they don't believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come, and he will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. So three aspects, Pastor Chad, of the Holy Spirit's relationship to the world. I'm going to call them his presence, his pressure, and his people. And that's just alliteration for our conversation. Presence, mm-hmm. pressure, people. Each case, I want to make a simple statement. So let's look at the first one. The, fa- the first is his presence is needful. It's needed. We need, we must have the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, he says, you know, very clearly, none of you ask me where am I going because I've said these things. Sorrow has filled your heart. Now, they're in the upper room, right? In this last supper, the disciples are shocked. They're disappointed to say the least. Mm-hmm. They've expected Jesus to come set up an earthly Messiah, right? you know, his earthly kingdom, kingdom if mm-hmm. you will. Um, and, and when you look at it, uh, 2,000 years ago, Pastor Chad, the Jews in Judea had a pretty simple, straightforward eschatology, and that is what we call belief in the end times or the Messiah. And... Number one, there's going to be a time of turmoil, national turmoil. Well, they have seen that. They see what's happening in Rome. They see what's happening with the Jew. Phase two, after that national expectation because of oppression, there's supposed to be an Elijah-like figure to come. Well, that has happened, right? John the Baptist comes on the scene. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Then the third phase for the Jewish mind was that the Messiah was set up as kingdom. So the disciples are thinking, we can't blame him. Number one and number two have been done. We're in national turmoil. John the Baptist has already come. He is like the one Elijah crying out in the wilderness. Number three is going to happen at any moment. And then, boom, the Last Supper. And Jesus says, not only am I dying, you're going to die. And think, yeah. of, think of the disorientation, right? I mean, they have put their hopes three years. Yeah. Three years following after him. And Jesus brings him in a room and drops the nuclear bomb. And so when we read the text, sorrow is growing in your heart, that's probably the understatement of the century. Yeah, their, their worldview is being shattered. Quickly, right? And not only am I going to suffer, Jesus says, you're going to suffer and die also. But they, they, of course, did not expect that. So they're filled 
with anxiety to the brim. Their sorrow has filled their heart. And it's interesting because Jesus says, none of you ask me where I'm going. You're so focused on what you're losing, you're not even looking at this from my side. And I don't know, I, I, that's something new that I thought this week. You're so focused, no, yeah. none of you are asking me where I'm going, he's saying, right? In other words, I get to go back, back home to my father, but you're so consumed with your, what you're losing, you're, think, you're not thinking about what I'm gaining. And what does he gain? Of course, he gains exaltation, sitting next to the Father, but what do they gain? Well, they've gained a whole new dispensation of time, yeah. right? Leadership of the Holy Spirit. Age two. Age two, that's right. So talk just a little bit about that. What, what kind, of, kind of put us in the minds of a, of a disciple of how Jesus is saying, the Holy Spirit is so needed. His presence is absolutely essential as I go back to the Father. Well, it, you know, it gives you understanding of why so many things Jesus said. It said that, you know, those closest to him, those here, even in this text, the disciples didn't understand. Mm-hmm. They didn't comprehend. You know, they've been conditioned, you know, through the religious culture of his day to think that this is absolutely how the Messiah is going to come. Right. Right. Which is important for you and I in another way is because as believers, we all come with these assumptions yeah. but we don't treat them as assumptions yeah. we we treat them as absolutes yeah. like i absolutely know that now that i'm a follower of jesus god's going to do this for me yeah. or this is my destiny or this is the purpose he has or this is the path that he's going to use to get me to that and at times obviously we're going to find that those assumptions and and that part of our biblical following jesus worldview gets shattered yeah right yeah that's and so right. we're going to find ourselves in a similar moment, yeah. right? Not exactly, but but the same principle and, and experience. And in this, what we find comfort to is that the fact that the Holy Spirit is sent is advantageous to us in yeah. these moments. Yes. Because what did we look at before? The yeah. Holy Spirit's called the comforter. Yeah, of course. Well, what in the world do we need when yeah. our worldview's being absolutely destroyed? We yeah. need comfort. Yeah. Right before we even need answers, yeah, we need comfort because you've seen someone that's hysterical, and you can actually be trying to answer, and they can't hear. No, they yeah. they can't hear it all. Right? Yeah, they they are too hysterical to even hear the words coming out of your mouth. So we need comfort first, and so that's what Jesus is trying to prepare and help them. And you know, they didn't always catch it right in the moment, but the amazing thing is, is like he says down in verse thirteen, then the Holy Spirit is going to take the things that he said to them in moments that they didn't comprehend because of pain or whatever. And then the Holy Spirit's going to remind them yeah, that he said that, bring it back right. to remembrance. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? And so uh, the advantage is, is now as Jesus knows what's going to happen to the 11 and following him, that they're not going to always be together. They're going to be dispersed. Yeah. And yet the Holy Spirit's individually going to be with and in each of them. That's right. Where if Jesus was still on the earth, he can only be with one of them yeah. in the dispersion. Presence is limited. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Pastor Chad, what's interesting when he says, you know, not only am I dying, but you're going to die, all of them except for John, who's there that night, will die a martyr's death because they believe in Jesus Christ. Yeah. You know, John, historically... What they we tried find, to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and that sounds pretty impossible to do alone, dying for Jesus, which to me is the segue here is that the task is still the same. What is it? Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, yeah. baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you, right? Yes. Lo, I'm with you to the end of the age. And it still is impossible today for the for present day's disciples as it was for those disciples. And here's why. Because Certainly. most people, 
do not believe. Most people are unsaved. Right. We have more unsaved people globally than we have probably born-again people globally. And Jesus Christ is the only means of salvation. And Pastor Chad, I don't know about you, but this always helped me visually. I heard um, Larry Stockstill early, 2011 or 12, mm-hmm. uh, shared this line, you know, this this image or picture. He said if you were to line up all the unsaved people in the world roughly and put them shoulder to shoulder, line them up shoulder to shoulder, you know, no social distancing, you could form a line around the earth, the equator, that wouldn't go around one time, five times, ten times, twenty times, but thirty times. Yeah. And what he said was the line is growing 20 miles longer every single day. Hmm. 20 miles. That's a big task. How do we win those people? But Jesus never said, Pastor Chad, go at it, do your best, boys. Right. He never says that. You're on your own. Hope you don't get beat up too bad. He says, wait until you're clothed with the power from on high. Um, DM, DM Dawson, Pastor Chad, uh, he wrote this, and I wanted to share it because I think it's a good image. He said, without the power of the Spirit, all human efforts, methods, and plans are as futile as attempting to propel a boat by puffing at the sails with our own breath. Mm. I think that's a, a good picture. You're out here on Lake Alatoona. You want to get to Red Top Mountain State Park. It's 25 miles away. What do you do? <laughs> Could you imagine on a boat? You're passing out. You're pa- <laughs> and so, so, so to go into the world and share the gospel to every creature on your own, Pastor Chad, is this. So this is why his presence is so needful, yeah. right? It's, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because I go away, the Holy Spirit, and boys, you're going to need that. You're going to need the, the Holy Spirit. So any final thoughts there when you talk about just his... His presence is needful before we talk about his pressure. Yeah, well, you, you know, you talked about how all throughout the Old Testament, Holy Spirit's mentioned that. And, you know, Proverbs 8 basically says the Holy Spirit was the way that God created all that's seen. Right? God yeah. spoke it, but the Holy Spirit was the way. And like what you're saying is, is what's the way if you want to move a, a boat forward? Well, naturally, you know, you want to try to blow in your own power? Yeah. No, the, the, the way... To see the world come to encounter an invisible God's got to be the method and the way of the Spirit, mm-hmm. right? And and there has to be that dependency. Unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. And, um, you know, God's ways are not our ways. So even you who are born again, the natural inclination mm-hmm. for how you're to move forward and fulfill what maybe God has made clear to you that you're called to— the natural inclination is wrong. Mm. And, and that's why until people get exposed to full gospel or they get exposed to a crisis mm-hmm. where they realize finally that trying to— pretend or weak. Bl- yeah, yeah, or try to blow their sailboat across what they're facing is not going to work. They, they don't get open to the way and the method of how to fulfill what God's called them to. And— um, it's very important. You got a lot of people trying to do God's work, but not in His way. They're trying to do God's work, but in their own way. And it's hard to talk to those people until crisis comes. Um, you know, I could tell story after story, you know, people that stand on the streets and witness because they're compelled that God wants to save everybody, but, you know, uh, the wife's left them. They, they neglect their kids because the compulsion to reach is not... It's not refined by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. It's wisdom. Yeah. Right? And so this is so important, what right. we're talking about. And the Holy Spirit invites us. And I think I think that's the part. We're obviously going to talk next 
this is this you know about his pressure and how he actually convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. But when we when we when we think about us being witnesses in the world, there is no corner of this globe in which we can take God. God's already there inviting us to join his work. And I think that's an important mm-hmm. reality to consistently remember because there is a sense of arrogance, and especially in the church planning world. I don't I don't see it as much as maybe a decade ago, but it was always as, you know, we're moving into a city and we're bringing God with us as if God's not been operative in that community long yeah. before they ever showed up, right? Mm-hmm. Number one, you're disregarding the, the work of God's Spirit through other congregations in many ways. Yeah. But then secondly, it's as if you are the only, you know, person bringing God into that community. God's inviting it. His presence is absolutely essential. And Pastor Chad, just quite honestly, just the the specifics of the Holy Spirit's leadership when you're attempting to partner with the Holy Spirit in how to reach your neighbor, how to reach the person who works with you at work, to have right words, to speak right words mm-hmm. in the right season, to, to know when to be quiet, right? In so mm-hmm. many ways, the Holy Spirit helps us in it, in the baptism of the Spirit even learn how to steward frustration better because what's the first thing that happens when the the early disciples get baptized in the spirit they get mis- mis- misunderstood misinterpreted the first thing peter says is hey you right. think we're drunk as you suppose we're not drunk as you suppose but this is that yeah meaning the holy spirit is enabling him to look at what's happened and reinterpret in light of what scripture communicates and so there is that sense of as spirit-filled people, when we engage the world, we have to be okay with stewarding the frustration of being misunderstood even a lot of times. Yes. Yeah, and it also shows you that, you know, we who are alive today, we come after Peter. We come after the apostles, meaning if if you want to learn the ways of the Spirit, if you want to be a spirit-filled person, the best prominent way of God's method is you got to get around spirit-filled people. Yeah people that have encountered the ways of the Spirit. There is a impartation. There is a passing down of that faith handed, you know, yeah. down once and for all, so yeah. to speak. Uh, because of what you're saying is, it, it the, to natural, even the religious of that Peter preached to, it didn't make sense to them, mm-hmm. right? And the new covenant and the way of the Spirit doesn't make sense to natural man. So yeah. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2, right? The, yeah. To the natural mind, it's not understood. It's yep. only to the spiritually discerned, right? But I can't become spiritually discerning on my own. Yeah, takes. I, ha- I had to get around people that had a, a a deeper encounter and walk and experience with the Spirit than I did. Yeah. to even have any way to recollect what I was ha- happening or what was needed or yeah. things like that. So, um, and that's the point I want to focus here too. I know we're about to go to the next one, but but. At the end of the day, Pastor Chad, the more spiritual we become, the more practical we should become. It's always seen, at least in the faith tradition mm-hmm. I was a part of, is the more spiritual you become, the more ethereal you become, the more mm-hmm. meditative you become, whatever. It's, just, it's something that does not uh, operate in daily ways and means of concrete action in the world. All and right. yet the reality is the Holy Spirit come upon the early believers is exact opposite. They're compelled right. by the Spirit to get out into the... Highways and byways, and, and yeah, compel the, people the to real come to supernatural is just super being on our natural. Yeah, it's not the neglect of the natural, right? Relationships or natural responsibilities that God's designed. It's just His super, His ability, right? The work of the Spirit coming upon that, and so you have both sides extreme, and um, the only way to find biblical balance is dependency on the Spirit. Yeah. And that's sort of the catch twenty two yeah. of it, you know. 
Yeah, so so number one, his presence is needful. Let's let's look at his pressure now, number two. The second aspect is his pressure. And and when I say his pressure, it's unmistakable. If you go back to verse eight, when he, who's he, the Holy Spirit, has come, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Of sin because they don't believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father, and of, of uh, and, and you see me no more, and of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So yeah. in short, Pastor Chad, it's the Holy Spirit that pursues people, that chases people, that comes after people. You know, in, in many ways, we could say, as a believer, my vision statement is, you know, I'm pursuing God who passionately pursues a lost world. I'm going after God, but God's going after lost people. Mm-hmm. And because he's going after lost people, I've got to go after lost people. And you say, well, how does God per- passionately pursue the lost world? By sending the Holy Spirit. In, in fact, in the old language, we called the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit the hound of heaven. I know that might be new <laughs> to some people, but uh, if you've never heard that description before, I, I will look that up, Pastor Chad, because I've heard it. It's a phrase that comes from the 1800s. I never knew this. There's a man by the name of Francis Thompson. Hmm. <laughs> he wrote a book about God called The Holy Spirit, The, the Hound of Heaven. And in, in his story, Francis Tom, Thompson, Pastor Chad, he was a medical student in London. He dropped out of medical school. He became addicted to opium. Hmm. He attempted suicide. All the while, he ran from God. He wrote a poem. Here's the poem. I fled him, that's the old way of saying I fled away from him, ran away from him. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him through the labyrinth ways of my own mind. But then in the poem, he talks about how God pursues him. And he writes this, he says, But with an unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, I love that description, the unrelenting conviction, chasing, pursuing of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came after me February 10th, 2002. I had no intent when I walked into church that morning right. for the first time in years yeah. of surrendering my life to Jesus. I had no intent the night before, which is Saturday, February 9th, to even come to church. My friend just invited me to come hang out with him. His name was Brian Arnold. He just said, come hang out with me. Right. I had no idea. But boy, that was the hound of heaven. That was the Holy Spirit. And now when I look back, Pastor Chad, our big Baptist church in the community was called Central Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. It was right down the road from my house. And I just I literally, I, I, this is, you know, however, 20 Plus years ago, I just recently thought about this. I got born again in February. In September of the year before, they had a big play called The Book where they, for multiple nights, had a kid almost reenact like a drunk driving scene. You had hell on stage and pulling people down into hell, and he not made a decision, and then Christ right. comes in. I mean, it's this whole, you know, illustrated message or, or purpose. And I remember, and I never thought about it previous, I went forward that night, and they, in like normal Baptist churches, it dismissed you to another room, and they mm-hmm. had me at least fill out a card. Mm. And it hit me. This is like a progressive yes. hound of heaven. This yeah. was the Holy Spirit doing this. Now, that was five, six months later, but man, the hound of heaven was coming after me. You know, you know, you wouldn't be here today as a believer in Christ if it weren't for the pressure of the Holy Spirit in your life. No way. No way. And, um, you know, that it's a stumbling block for, for some that don't understand the ways of God because, again, the only way, in fact, uh, on, on a recent uh, trip, the person God seated next to me, uh, parents atheist, okay, uh, no church background, but because... She valued like English lit and stuff, right? And her studies 
they're studying Shakespeare and different things. Well, you know, some of that language is biblical language. So somehow in yeah, it's that, old English language, yeah, for sure. Some of that in that they begin to study like what was happening around that time. So you get into Reformation type studies and things like that. So in all of our conversations, she brings up Calvinism and predestination. This is someone raised by atheists, and she's bringing up Calvinism, trying to wrestle with. And so I was able, praise God by His grace, to explain that that's the only framework they could try to figure out is how some people came and and heard or responded to the hound from heaven and others didn't. Mm -hmm. The only way they could frame that is God must be choosing. But what they didn't understand is, is no, how does the hound of heaven more loudly get people's attention? Right. Through believers. Yes. Right. Through the, the message being preached. You have to be in an atmosphere where people are dependent on the spirit and being used of the spirit to how can they believe unless they hear. Yeah. Right. Type deal. So that's what you're saying is that yep. you have these, you know, pre-conversion encounters of the spirit drawing yep. us through the gospel, through people that we come across paths who is led by the Spirit to then intercede from us. Yeah. If we took John every- Wesley, the Methodist movement called that prevenient grace. Right. That was their phrase. Yes. That's the influence of God before yeah. be- before experiencing conversion. grace that saves you is born again, working in our life, and and he does that through intercession. He does it through friends sharing their testimony. He does it through seeing plays and things that testify to who Jesus Boy, is. Well, I remember the pressure. That's why I use this word. I remember the pressure. <laughs> the conviction of my heart on February 10th. Pastor yeah. Chad, I'm walk, I'm, I'm in the room, and I have no idea what's happening to me. But, boy, the pressure and hound of heaven yeah. is pressuring my heart. And the word the word he will convict the world of, of, of sin, righteousness, and judgment— that word's like convince. He's yes. going to convince the world. Convincing their, means. Yeah, yeah. They're, he's going to he's going to show the world their need of me, convincing them. In other words, it's the Holy Spirit who convinces people in the world that they're sinners in need of a savior. Like before, Pastor Chad, anybody can receive a savior. They got to realize they need to be saved from something. Exactly. Right. There has to be that awareness. the The job of the savior is to save people who need to be saved. But how do they know they need to be saved? That's the Holy Spirit's job. Correct. Right. And that's why that. The, the law was given, uh, just like the Holy Spirit hovered in Genesis, right? And the earth was void and without form until God said, and then the Holy Spirit performed what was said. So the Holy Spirit, in, in pre-work to being born again, he uses the law. That's why the law was given, right? Romans 3.20, for the knowledge of sin. And so I was thinking today, actually, in, in worship, it came in my spirit, because uh, I wasn't thinking about it previously. But, you know, in the Ark of the Covenant, right, in in uh, Moses's tabernacle, let's say, or even Solomon's temple. In the ark was the law. The law was placed, right? Then above it was the mercy seat represented by the angel's wings. But the glory of God was in the, the, the middle, the Shekinah, the manifest presence of God. So you got the standard of the law that's unchanged, right? Uh, that represents the severity of God. That's sort of what Paul mentions, mm-hmm. right, in, in Romans, the severity of God. And then above it was the mercy of God. But in between it, then you had the glory of God, right? When Jesus came, he came to fulfill the law because we couldn't. The law condemned us. But he came full of grace and truth, okay? But it was God's mercy that sent him. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is the glory of God, face revealed. And so this is how... The Holy Spirit works is that he uses the law to convince of sin, bring awareness of sin. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. But in the level where we then seek mercy, yeah. 
right? But then it's in the face of Jesus we yeah. truly get born again and saved. Yeah. And um, no, I think this is point. Let's talk about this, friend, because I think okay. from a from a new new age standpoint, this is this is good. This is where I wanted to go. Is I've heard psychologists say, well, guilt is a very unhealthy emotion. Unless you're guilty, if you're guilty, you need to get guilt alleviated. You got to get rid of the guilt. Right. And, and we can't, no matter how much we advance technologically or societally, sociologically, maybe I would say, we can't alleviate people's guilt. They find ways and coping me- mechanisms to get to rid of that it. guilt. Mm-hmm. Right. And a lot of people, Pastor Chad, they want to blame uh, their environment. I've discovered most people need convincing. They need, most people don't admit they're sinners. Most people I meet in the world don't, a lot of times, they even believe in the idea of sin. That's a lot of folks believe that. They want to blame their environment or I am the way I am because I was a kid or right. my dad forced me to eat spinach or I'm hating him ever since. Or they want to blame their genetic structure, right? I'm biologically uh, prone or predisposed to a certain behavior. It's just who I am. I have no choice at all. You go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. That's exactly what what Adam did. When God busted him for his choice, he blamed his wife. In fact, he blamed God. He said, it's a woman you gave me. But the Holy Spirit, Pastor Chad, does that beautiful way of convincing the human heart, of the need of the human heart, right? Shining the bright light of God's truth, the glorious gospel, you're saying on the face of Jesus, into the life. And and the good part about that is that, the, that convincing is not my job as a witness. Mm-mm. That's the Holy Spirit's job. That's the freeing part, right? It usually comes out as condemnation oftentimes when we try to take the Holy right. Spirit's we role. Try to force, right? right? It just makes people feel really bad. I've, I read Pastor Chad. It's like a little girl who uh, sold Girl Scout cookies. She sold hundreds of boxes of Girl Scout cookies. What is your favorite uh, one? Thin Mint. Okay, I'm a Samoa. I like Samoas, too. Just so y'all know. I like the coconut right. Samoas, too. I like Thin Mints. I hadn't had a Girl Scout cookie in a long time. I'm hungry right now, so I, I really want to take a moment to think about it. Well, they asked this girl, <laughs> how successful were, why were you successful in selling so many? And she actually said, it's really quite easy. She said, you got to pause and get people to stop walking and look people right in the eye and make them feel guilty. <laughs> she said it works every time. And, and I just wanted to say, it might work. Selling Girl Scout cookies, but it does not work in sharing the gospel. Yeah, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. And the way the Father draws him is by the Holy Spirit. That's so right. he's going he's to convict the world. But Pastor Chad, in verse 9, the sin is singular. It's not sin. That's right. Singular. It's singular. Oh, yeah. I love to teach this and get people upset, but it is what it is. The, the Holy Spirit would convict the world, the people of sin, singular, a very particular type of sin that their conscience would never con- convict them of. What is that? What is sin that? Sin of unbelief. Sin of unbelief. It's the only sin that Jesus did not die and pay for. Because, see, if, if Jesus actually paid for every sin, then that would be universalism. Right. That means there would need to be no response of man because there would all sin would be dealt with. Mm-hmm. But he did not die for the sin of unbelief in him, in his work. And so that's what the Holy Spirit is seeking to convince them of their unwillingness. And this brings up another point. This unbelief in Jesus is seen as willful. Yeah. It's not seen as unwillful. Yeah. So when people talk about, well, why would a loving God send anybody to eternity of separation? For, for heck, him? for a lot of people, it's a badge of honor in our world, like unbelief, yeah. right? When you say willful, I mean, in some sense, that they'll say things like, I don't believe in Jesus. I'm not as weak as you are, or that's a crutch or whatever the case is. So. Yeah. But the Holy Spirit is the one that convicts of the the sin of of unbelief. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So seeking to convince them 
of their willful unbelief. And and the reason this is important is that even as those of you that are watching are followers of Jesus, it also helps you understand the what the biblical word believing is. That we're not just dealing with mental assent. Mm-hmm. See, it's not just that they won't mentally assent to Jesus. It's that they are willfully rejecting the fact that he is Lord and they're not. Mm-hmm. Right? They're willfully rejecting that he is king and they are not. So it's that willful unbelief that the Holy Spirit's convincing them of, saying, hey, this is the issue. Every, uh, every other sin has been dealt with, but you're, you're unwillful believing in him. And, and that's the thing, Pastor Chad. People don't see that unbelief is the actual thing that separates them from God forever. It takes the Holy Spirit convincing them of yeah. that. That's the key. So John chapter three: He who does not believe in the Son is, con- is uh, he who believes in the Son is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already. Already, because he has not believed in the name of the only John Son. John three thirty six: The wrath of God abides on them. John chapter five: Jesus said, "You don't believe." John chapter eight: You don't believe in me. John chapter fourteen: You do not believe in me. It's that sin. It's that sin. He's coming after. He's convicting the world of sin Singular. because they do not believe in me. Right, and so Scripture then sees all of the other specific sins is just the fruit of the one willful unbelief mm. in him right yeah so and and that's why you see how he says here yeah uh people then say well like what they accuse paul of well are we under grace then so we should continue in sin and paul yeah. says no no you don't understand what happens after we're convicted of sin he's going to convince of righteousness right yep but the the fruit of the specific sins is because the willful unbelief. Okay. Once you get the unbelief out of the way and you believe, then that changes Mm -hmm. the person to, to how they approach the specific sins. Yes. The fruit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's perfect. Second thing he'll do is he'll convict the world of righteousness. Verse 10, because I go to my father and you see me no more. So let's just talk about that. What on earth does that mean? Well, first of all, most people think if there is a God in heaven, Pastor Chad, I'm probably good enough to go. I may not be perfect. I may not be 100% righteous. Right. But most people live their lives by what we call relative righteousness. Yes. That's relative to the people around them. But Jesus came into the world, and suddenly now you have a standard of perfect righteousness. Mm. Right? Suddenly, no matter who you are, next to Jesus, you ain't much, Mm-mm. right? Perfect obedience to right? the Father. He Imperfection had. next to perfection simply accentuates the imperfection. That's what it does. It makes it that much more clear. And that's mm-hmm. why Isaiah the prophet, though he was a prophet, when he saw God, what did he say? Woe is me. me. I'm undone, right? I'm not that special next to God. No way. Right? Years ago, you know, I've heard this sto- you know, story told many different ways, but like for, I've communicated this story many different ways. But to me, that, that was what was so alarming in me growing in my first few months of Christian faith, of recognizing that, especially at that time in my life at 16, where it was so difficult for me to go day after day without just a sin management theology, to think that Jesus Christ led his life as a 16-year-old sinless. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was mind-boggling to me. Wow. You know, I mean, seriously, that was just... My, yeah. and, and to think then that, that established within my psyche a reality that, whoa, his righteousness is an altogether different righteousness, right, mm-hmm. than even I think I have. And so you got people in our world, Pastor Chad, that, yeah, they... You know, they have a relative righteousness, but there's only one person who ever walked who, at the end of his life, had the right to go directly 
of his own merit into the presence of God. There's only one person, and that's Christ. Absolutely. He died. Jesus of Nazareth. He ascended into heaven. God highly exalted him, gave him the name above all other names. So unless you possess the righteousness of Jesus, you'll never see God. Fallen way short. All right, we'll that's never right. see God. So remember when Jesus said, Pastor Chad, uh, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will know by, by no means enter the kingdom of God? That's it. Unless you possess the righteousness of Jesus, he's saying you will not see God. You will not. It won't happen. You will not. So the sin that condemns you is unbelief. Yep. The righteousness that saves you is the righteousness righteousness that only Jesus possesses. Correct. Well, how in the world do we get that? How do we get the righteousness Jesus possesses? Yep, by coming into right relationship with him. Yeah. Right. Paul said in First Corinthians one thirty that but of him, God made Christ Jesus to become righteousness for us, yeah. right? So, That's the gospel. And this is important because you talked about how some people are struggling to acknowledge, right, and be even conscious of their sin. So the Holy Spirit's convicting them of sin. Yep. But then once consciousness is awakened, that's where you have all of the spiritual soup mm. of many ways because now they're aware they're in need to be saved, mm -hmm. but then there's vulnerabilities and temptations of, okay, well, how do I seek to be saved? Yeah. Is it now through my own good works? Yeah. Is it now through, you know, um, a, a works trying to righteousness or yep. hoping that my good outweighs my the bad. wrong I've yep. done? Is it through um, some other spiritual guru, right? Some other religion? Like, what's the way now to be right with God? Hmm. So the Holy Spirit in the in the natural spiritual progression, logically of moving people. Right from separated to God to being reconciled, as He's got to convince of sin, their yeah. willful unbelief, to believe in what God the Father has declared through the Son, yeah. Jesus Christ, right. the message of the Son. That's right. And then that He alone is the provision for righteousness to be in right standing with Him. Yeah. It's got to convince. Can't be my own. Yeah. It, it can't be the righteous prayers of my mother or a friend. Uh, it, it can't even be the comforting words of a preacher. Yeah. Like, in the end, all everything else is sinking, sinking sand. Christ alone is our righteousness, our right and way to and God said it, our Creator. It way. He did. Yeah. And He did that to make it easier, yeah. but the devil then deceives human logic to make that seem mean. People get upset. Well, why ain't there many ways to God? Yeah. He made one way hoping it would be easy for all of us to and be to think in that, unity. that God says, if you believe, I will see you as if you were as perfect as Jesus was. Mind-boggling. Very mind-boggling. Right. That's his righteousness. That you can have the same experience that Jesus is having now at the right hand, where he knows he's fully approved as a son of God. Yep. He's fully loved as a son of God. He's at rest. Yep. And this is why from a d divine design for discipleship, what we call growth phases, but... You know, this is why at the end of the day, when people have gone through foundation phase, which is our first, you know, foundation, our f first phase, right. that without a doubt, like lesson six, seven, and eight are by far the most pivotal lessons in foundation phase because we're learning the word of righteousness, righteousness and water baptism. And um, I mean, it's just, it's the testimony of hundreds of folks hundreds. that I've had to. Through, but you're dealing, yeah, and you're, and you're dealing with hundreds and hundreds of people that don't, they hadn't yet experienced the advantage of the Holy Spirit being here right fully mm -hmm. they've experienced the holy spirit convict them of their sin they've 
come to repentance and faith in Jesus, mm-hmm. but then they're living every day that their ability to talk with God or it's be used of God is based on their own performance. Mm-hmm. So they've never yet had the Holy Spirit convince them that, no, it's all Jesus' righteousness or we're in trouble. Amen. Our righteousness Amen. is filthy rags. And then the third one, verse 11, Pastor Chad, he'll convict the world of judgment because the rule of this world is judged. So the, the Holy Spirit will convince people there's indeed a coming judgment, a time of accountability, that if you re- reject the true Jesus Christ, you'll face that judgment. But he says this, and this is the part I wanted to make, Pastor Chad, and of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. When Jesus died on the cross, Satan's kingdom was effectively over. Yeah. Now, obviously, he's had a lot of free time since then, and the chain's pretty long, right? People say, well, if just Satan's on his chain, how long is that chain? Uh, he's done a lot of damage, but its fate is sealed because the cross ruined him. And that's Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, isn't it? Right? Promise seed. That's right. The, the head of Satan would be crushed. And in Colossians 2, Hebrews chapter 2, same thing. He destroyed him who had the power of death. That is the devil, Hebrews yeah. 2 says. So when Jesus says of judgment, because the ruler of this judge, a world is judged. Pastor Chad, watch this. He is, he is arguing from greater to lesser. Thinking of it, he's saying that if God destroyed the most powerful evil force in the universe, you won't escape as well. Yeah. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, if he judged the devil, then anyone less than the devil who rejects Christ is going to face judgment. It's a, it's an, it's an argument of greater to lesser. Correct. That there is a judgment coming, and uh, I don't know. It's hard to get people to think of a future judgment. Yeah, without the work of the Spirit, because but that that is the the point of the necessity of the work of the Spirit because. Yep. Ecclesiastes 3.11, God set eternity in the hearts of man. Yeah. But it takes the eternal spirit to awaken mm-hmm. that awareness that he's put in our hearts about the fact of eternity, which is why the spirit of wisdom says it's better to go to a funeral than to go to a party. Yeah. Listen, and in, in, in the years of rebellious, levicious living of my own life, very seldom, if ever, did while part, no, while partying, did I think about death. Yeah. Yeah. We felt unstoppable, yeah. and yet bad things would happen, right? People would make mistakes and, you know, bad decisions. But, you know, but you go to a funeral, and now you're seeing a real physical, you know, uh, illustrated sermon that one day I'm going to be that. that. That's the end of all mankind. And so what about the afterlife? What about eternity? You know, but you talk about the ruler of this world being judged. That that cripples a lot of people's wrong biblical worldview when they think about how God's orchestrated the world because a lot of believers don't understand the reason so much evil happens in the world is because of what sin allowed in the sense of Satan becoming a type of ruler on the earth and being able to inflict upon humanity and the earth devastation still kill and destroy you know but the finished work of the cross has rendered him inoperative but humans keep giving place to him willfully but what is Lucifer saying? What else is he called? He's called the lawless one. And how did the apostle John define sin? He said sin is lawlessness. Yeah. So your point here is if we don't repent, okay, and if we don't trust Jesus as a righteousness, the same judgment that the lawless one's facing, yeah. those who follow in his footsteps through lawlessness yep. is sin. going to get the same sin. judgment. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. So, Pastor Chad, his presence is needed. His yes. pressure, convicting the world of sin and righteousness. Oh, can I, can yeah, I add something? Yeah. I forgot because I wanted to hit it when we got yeah. um, 
to the the righteousness part, the yeah. convincing. So in, in my years of, of rebellious living, I was aware of the reality of sin, right? And I knew who Jesus was, you know. So what I was needing, though, was the Holy Spirit to convince of the righteousness and judgment aspect to, to bring about true repentance, right? It wasn't not awareness that Jesus is Lord. It was still my unwillingness to surrender to Him as Lord. But I remember, you know, I was still in a context of coming in contact with believers and people that pray and people that know you're making bad decisions. And so I remember the last summer of parting um, b- b- before I surrendered my life to, to the Lordship of Jesus that whenever I, I would get high, I had this dread feeling. I could no longer get high and enjoy it. it it's like I get high, but I had this dread of Jesus returning. What is that? Yeah, That's, that's the Holy Spirit doing what you're talking yes. about, putting pressure on yes, me it's pressure. to turn the knowledge I had into understanding that led to a type of change, repentance, right? And, and then... You may, you've heard me tell the story, many of the listeners not, but then someone prayed that, what I call that choking prayer. Mm-hmm. So I resisted that dread for months. Mm-hmm. I go off to college, still getting high, mixing, drinking, all that. And then it got where anytime I would, would, would smoke a weed or cigarettes, it's literally like someone was taking a knife right through my esophagus. The pain was unbearable. But the, I still wouldn't give in. I'd still hit it. It hurt so bad, and I'd still do it. Mm. But then it got where I couldn't even be around the smoke. Yeah, I felt like I couldn't breathe. What is that? That's pressure. Yeah, no doubt. That's pressure. Mm. And God's mercy even upon unbelievers, sometimes they experience a lot of tragedy. Oh, yeah. But that's the pressure of of God's mercy and goodness trying to awaken to the biggest decision of eternity. That's right. Yeah, it's very difficult. We can see it, we who have followed the ways of, of Jesus and understand his spirit, but people right. in the crisis yeah. have a very difficult yeah. time. Why would he allow that to happen? Exactly. Well, yeah, think absolutely. about eternity. No, that's great. So you were saying again. Yeah, no, so so his presence is needed. Uh, secondly, we talked about his pre- his uh, pressure, pressure, but then thirdly, his people. Mm-hmm. And my state with his, statement was this, Pastor Chad, his people are instrumental. So what I mean by that is that the Spirit of God and the people of God work in tandem together. This this is the synergy that I wanted to kind of end this episode with. We are called by God to work in tandem. If you look at verse 7 again, it says, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come. But look at the next two words. The helper will not come to you, disciples. He's coming to you. Right. To you, to us. Yeah. If you go back to John 15, I know we're in 16, but if you go back to 15, Pastor Chad, verse 26 and 27, it says, When the Helper comes, whom I will send from the Father, the Spirit of truth, truth who proceeds from the Father, look at this, he will testify of me. But look at the next verse. And you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. So who's going to testify? The Holy Spirit and, and me. And the apostles. Yeah. And me. Together yeah. in tandem. Yeah. Working together. Yes, it's the Holy Spirit that does the convicting. But he always does it through human channels. Yeah. Just like you told your story. Just like I told my story. Yeah. He works through people. We are God's instrument. Pastor Chad, virtually every conversion in the book of Acts was the Holy Spirit working through a Christian witness. Yes, sir. Who preached the sermon on the day of Pentecost? Peter. Peter I mean, they even had, you remember, Cornelius, they even had an angel come, and the the angel wouldn't tell them the words of salvation. (laughs) So Pete says, you got to send to the ones I know that are sent to preach and to hear Pete, the words. Peter and it starts Acts two it starts with Peter preaching. He's up there preaching. They're cut to the heart. 
That's conviction. How did they get convicted? It wasn't Peter. It was God using Peter, the Holy Spirit, through the message together. It takes both. Oh, yeah. Right? It's the tandem. You say, well, what about Saul of Tarsus? He didn't have a Christian witness. He was on the road to Damascus. Oh, he did. Oh, he, did. he had the, the biggest witness you can have. The Lord spoke to him, first of all, on the road to Damascus. But you remember what the Lord said to him? Why are you persecuting me? It's hard to kick against the goads. The goads. That's the, that's the conviction. Something in his heart was goading him. Yeah, Stephen. He'd never seen someone's face shine in suffering like that. Right. The blood of holy, Matt, you know, martyrdom. Yeah, martyrdom, absolutely. Then there's Cornelius, Pastor Chad, in the book of Acts. Cornelius had an angel appear to him. So you got an unbelieving Roman soldier having a conversation with an angel. Well, that ought to be interesting. And you would think once the angel has the unbeliever's attention, he's going to preach the gospel. He doesn't do it. You would think. The angel says to Cornelius, I mean, that's a powerful statement. Call for Peter. He will tell you the words of salvation. Yeah. And when he comes, he's going to tell you and your family how to get saved. Well, why don't you just do it? Why don't you just use, do it, an Angel? Because God always uses human instruments. I don't know how else to say it. Yeah. You so know? it's not no matter of God loving me more than some, you know, kid in, you know, India or Asia. That's It's about proximity. Yeah. To the people of God. Yeah, yeah. How can they believe unless someone's sent? Sent. You know, you know those old toolboxes that were on the back of people's trucks? Oh, yeah. You know? So my dad had a silver rotter growing up, and I, the image I always get in my mind is if you look in God's toolbox, he's got some really unimpressive tools. Us. Yeah. That's it. Like, he's, he's chosen his kingdom to advance through a very unlikely source this Monday morning. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's you and I. Now, I hope that doesn't offend us, because that's right out of Scripture, right? Paul said in Corinthians, he's put this treasure in earthen vessels that he he would get the glory. God called, chose the foolish things of this world. That's my life verse, by the way, when people ask. Mm -hmm. That's it. God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. So if you open up God's toolbox, not brilliant, not impressive, just us. But us filled with the Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, used by the Holy Spirit, Instruments of the Holy Spirit. That's a winning combo every time. And that's how the Holy Spirit works in the world, right? Yes. You know, Pastor Chad, what, well, I guess final thoughts there of, of just your hope and desire for the people that you you currently serve or those that are listening today and working in tandemship or partnership with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you know, that's God's divine design, you know, as we, we talk about, is that Ephesians 2.10, you were created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them, Right. But that walking there, Paul uses in other places, he he clarifies walking in the Spirit. Yeah. Right? So the only way you're going to do what God calls good works is by the Spirit, and they have to be works performed, right, independence by the Spirit. Because unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. Um, And so you have to invite the Holy Spirit to continually work in preparing you and equipping you to be qualified to stir up your gifts and move forward on what God has for you. Yeah. And and listen, you don't have to be like another brother and sister. You don't ever have to have a podcast or be on YouTube. What we need is we need every part doing its share mm-hmm. of what God's called each of us to do. We all have kingdom assignments. Yeah. We, we all have grace the Holy Spirit wants to um, stir within us and empower us to be witnesses, mm-hmm. right? 
lot of times oranges are reach oranges, apples are reach apples. There's people that God has appointed within your sphere that he wants to anoint and empower you through the spirit to reach that that I would never be able to yep. you know, reach. Yep. They wouldn't give me the time of day or Absolutely. whatnot. And so um don't allow here's what the writer of Hebrews exhorted. Basically, don't allow the grace of God. Uh don't allow the grace of God to be cut short in your life. Allow God's grace to take you to the full end of what God has for you, your assignment, and finish the race that God has for you. I mean, that is the apostolic passion of the Apostle Paul, is to present everyone mature. Mm -hmm. What that means is every believer living out their kingdom purpose and being a witness in the sphere God's appointed of the King of glory, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, Pastor Chad, here's what I how I was going to end. Go into the world, preach the gospel to every creature. When we hear that, it's probably the immediate thought is too big of a task. So I just, kind of like what you just did, three quick takeaways. Number mm-hmm. one, you and I are not called to be manufacturers. We're called to be distributors. And what I mean by that is we are not called to save people. That's right. We can't. We can't manufacture their salvation. You can't manufacture your own salvation, much less your spouses yeah. or your kids. I've had people say to me, I remember, to, I had someone say this, Pastor. I remember two years ago, you saved me. Now, I think they did it in a... Yeah, most uh, yeah, most young believers say stuff like that. Right. But but that <laughs> is, is about to... Got to be corrected, dude, though, quickly. If you're mature. About the most pervasive statement you can make, right, is, yeah. no, I didn't save nobody, mm-hmm. okay? I'm a, I'm a distributor. I may have said something the Lord used. Right. I preached today. There could have been something, but it's his message. Absolutely. It's his gospel. I'm not the manufacturer. The I'm the We plant the seed. Here's the second thing. I think the enormity of the task is what keeps us going, not the smallness of the task. Meaning, fact-checked, it's called the Great Commission. It's not called the Mediocre Mission. That's good, yeah. It's, called a, it's not called the Small Commission. It's called the Great Commission. And Pastor Chad, years ago, the Communist Party in Soviet Russia they learned that they could recruit more people to their endeavor by telling them that the task is huge and impossible and worth giving their life for because young people sign on when they get to be a part of something bigger than themselves. Correct. There's nothing bigger than the Great Commission. No. It's the greatest commission. No. Go into all the world. It's as big as it gets. And then number three, closing with this last little tidbit, great works, like you just mentioned, are mm-hmm. done by the combination of smaller parts. Greatest works are always the combo of smaller parts, mm-hmm. meaning... You can't do it all. I can't do it all. But together, we put our parts together, and God does some really amazing things, okay? You know, Pastor Chad, if you ever fly over the Midwest, you know, I remember always going from Atlanta to uh, to California. California yeah. When you go over the Midwest and you hit those Midwestern states, you look down sometimes, and in those huge, huge fields, I see it, uh, I see it on Google Images, Google Earth a lot in Oklahoma too. They have uh, the fields are like, one mile by one mile. That's about, in fact how they sell the plots of land out. Those big old squares out there. There'll be squares. Yeah. But in the square is a circle where they've planted the cotton field. So the whole one mile by one mile square <laughs> is a circle. Yeah. And if I'm looking out my window, the thought hit me on several times. If every Christian in America just took their one square. That's it. That's all we got to do. That's it. Just take my one square. If I take my one square, the whole nation comes to know Christ. Yeah. And so we get so paralyzed sometimes by paralysis, by analysis, thinking, oh, it's too big. The commission's too great. How do I deposit truth in these people? Well, no, the Holy Spirit, number one, his presence needed. Number two, his pressure is going to go after and convince yep. sin, righteousness, judgment, and then he wants to work in tandem with us. That's it. 
you know. Yep. So, yeah, spirit dependency is us not being overly confident that we on our own can reach the world. Mm-hmm. But it's also not overcomplicating it, of you know, of thinking we have to do everything and, and being overwhelmed. It's what you said. Let's each play our part. That's right. And that circle, Paul called it his sphere that God appointed for him and be faithful in it. And you'll see the king of glory work in you and through you. For his namesake. Amen. There was a man, Pastor Chad, at a construction site, and there were a group of stonemasons. They uh-huh. were all working on the same stone. They're all doing exactly the same task. And so this guy comes up and asks one of them, he said, what are you doing? In the first reply, the guy said, I'm chipping stone. He said it like that. I just hate my job. I'm chipping stone. Look at the second man doing the same thing. He said, sir, what are you doing? He said, I'm making a wall, doing the same thing. One's chipping stone, other's making a wall. He goes to the third guy, said, what are you doing? He said, I'm building a cathedral. And oftentimes I thought, what are we doing? We're building a kingdom, the Holy Spirit and us together, building a kingdom. And am I saying it chipping stone? Or am I using my job, my resources, my parenting, my marriage, Mm -hmm. my home, my social media, all the resources I have leveraged because we're making a kingdom. We're building a kingdom. Jesus through us is advancing his kingdom in the earth. And what greater privilege, right? There is no greater privilege. And we're all a part of it, but we just all need the apostolic pattern of sound teaching, you know, what Paul laid out. Or you have believers that's just waiting for eternity, mm. and they don't realize how valuable they are to right. what God's doing in this age. I guess age. the New Testament says they make it by the skin of their teeth, but they certainly didn't impact or affect anyone. Through fire, but with no rewards, even yeah. though they're saved. Yeah. 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 And that's not God's good pleasure for you, friend. Amen. Amen. So that's our heart. We pray that today's episode has blessed you and encouraged you. And, uh, and always, if you ain't in a church that's equipping you, dear God, you need to say, God, <laughs> where do I need to be to get equipped? Yes. Yes. And I'm not bashful to tell people the time's short. And, they're, you know, um, you have hungry believers, and yeah. the Lord wants you to put you in a place where he can feed your hunger. Yeah, and if you're new to that that language equip, what Pastor Chad is mentioning in Ephesians 4 is that leaders in the body are, of Christ are given by God. They're grace, they're grace by God to equip God's people for works of ministry. And all we're simply saying is that there is no such thing as full-time ministry for pastors that's separate from laity. That's right. We're all called to full-time ministry to leverage our lives for the sake of the gospel. And, uh, and the local church is, a, is an equipping ground. It's a place in which you find the strength and the equipping need. Yeah the equipment needed to be who God's called you to be. So that's our hope. I pray this is a blessing to you. As always, like we say, man, if, if it is a blessing to you, feel free to take this uh, YouTube link or if you're listening on audio podcasts and share it with people. The more you all help us in getting the word out, the distribution of what God's doing, uh, the more that we're going to uh, continue and moving forward and Amen. and hopefully yeah. in cooperation uh, be able to answer some questions. So I know Pastor Chad, right before we filmed today, I was telling you a conversation of a, friend who I haven't talked to in years. Yeah. He's been, you know, just watching through all the podcasts and just asking questions spe- specifically this season about yeah. the Holy Spirit. And so if it's a blessing to you, uh, you obviously can reach out there on YouTube, uh, but you can also email us. And so you find that access at, here at the at the the click see more part of the YouTube and you can find uh, our social media accounts as well. But we'd love to stay in contact. We've got one more episode season in season three, three and awesome. then we'll be moving to season four. So any final Man. thoughts? No, no, I feel at peace. Awesome. I feel good. Awesome. Well, thank you again for tuning in today. We'll see you next time. Let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk.